When we met the Coalition for Human Dignity during the main season of It Did Happen Here, we focused on their coalition building and opposition research in the fight against Nazi boneheads on the streets of Portland. The CHD, along with its Seattle-based sister organization, the Northwest Coalition Against Malicious Harassment, also played a major role in supporting rural anti-racist struggles. Together, they provided intelligence, training, research, and support to dozens of small-town anti-racist groups and initiatives against white nationalism across the Pacific Northwest. In 2006, two former Coalition for Human Dignity staffers formed a new group called If You Don't, They Will, a Seattle-based collaboration that provides concrete and creative tools for countering white nationalism through a cultural lens. This includes creating spaces to generate visions, desires, actions, memes, and dreams for the kinds of worlds we want to live in. In 2015, If You Don't, They Will, gathered ephemera from decades of small-town anti-fascist activism into a traveling interactive art show called No, Not Ever. The multimedia installation documents rural and suburban organizing strategies from the 1980s and 1990s to showcase how people of the Pacific Northwest continuously asserted no, not ever, to white nationalism. To call this an art show is a bit understated. No Not Ever is a living, traveling archive of over 120 anti-fascist groups and projects that took place outside of big cities throughout the Western states. The installation combines video footage from interviews, interactive research stations, and a community resource guide. The dynamic living archive functions as a participatory teaching and learning tool for anyone interested in connecting with the long and vibrant lineage of anti-racist resistance. I'm Mike Crenshaw. And I'm Selena Flores. In this bonus episode, we hear from the founders of If You Don't, They Will, Kate Boyd and Christiane Storm, about their histories, their organizing philosophies, and their interactive anti-fascist art show, No, Not Ever. This first voice is Kate. My name is Kate and I am a co-founder of If You Don't, They Will. I got started doing this work, I think in 96 or 97, I was 18, 19, going to college. Two neo-Nazi skinheads attacked two students of color right outside of campus. So there was this huge community meeting where people were coming together trying to figure out how to address what happened. Some folks were saying, ignore the neo-Nazi skinheads. If you organize against them, that gives them too much power. Luckily, there was also another conversation happening that framed these white nationalist attacks as part of a larger social movement that defined white nationalism as a social movement that was well-funded, organized, and intentionally recruiting, testing the waters, specifically in the Northwest. And so when I heard that second analysis of white nationalism as a social movement, it's like a, a light bulb blew up in my head. It really opened up things for me because I was thinking like, oh, if this is a social movement, that really changes how we need to fight it. When I graduated, I ended up working for the coalition. I did research and was running programs for and supporting and learning from this incredible network of, I think, 120 task forces that were all fighting white nationalism in their communities in the Northwest states. 
And while I was doing this work and learning from the super broad-based coalition, I also started learning about the white power music industry. And I got really excited thinking about how to use art and music to fight against white nationalism and to also imagine and work towards the world we actually want. Eric Ward was my boss and mentor at the time. And he was like, you have to go meet Christiane and you have to get trained at Home Alive. We'll hear next from the other half of If You Don't, They Will, Christiane Storm. I was working at a project that I helped uh, co-found called Home Alive during the time when I connected with Eric Ward and Kate and the Northwest Coalition Against Malicious Harassment. Home Alive is a Seattle-based anti-violence organization that launched in the aftermath of the 1993 rape and murder of Mia Zapata, singer for The Gits, a popular Seattle punk band. Home Alive organized low-cost self-defense trainings to disrupt assault, both from strangers on the street and from more intimate violence and abuse. And then the aftermath of her murder, we came together and started talking about, like, what do we want to do with all this rage and pain? And um, I think for many folks, this was the first murder or major trauma. And for others of us, like, this was the straw in a series of fucked up violence and abuse we were grappling with. A bunch of people came together and there was community discussion after discussion. And out of this, we realized that we wanted self-defense for us and our community. We wanted self-defense that was affordable. Most of us couldn't afford the classes that were out there. We wanted self-defense that recognized the kinds of violence and abuse that many of us were dealing with. Domestic violence, you know, hate crimes alongside sexual harassment and rape and assault. We didn't want to just get home alive. We also wanted to be like safe and alive in our homes. I think all the self-defense that was out there was like exclusively stranger violence. And we also wanted self-defense that recognized and acknowledged racism, white supremacy, capitalism, police violence, poverty, transphobia, and other systemic forms of violence and abuse. So to recognize that that was part of what we were defending ourselves from and incorporate that into any curriculum. I think our informal motto was be safe in a way that works for you and don't fuck anyone else over just because you disagree with how they do it. So we were looking around, didn't find anything. So we just started our own. We just started talking to folks. Train us to do martial arts. Can you train us around domestic violence? Can you train us and like talk to us and share skills and tools? And that's how I met Eric. Eric is Eric Ward, who was working with the Northwest Coalition Against Malicious Harassment at the time. He is now executive director of the Western State Center. Eric's name will crop up a lot during this episode in his role as a mentor and educator to young anti-racists. He did the first instructor training with us around bias crimes. I think he was at the Northwest Coalition for Malicious Harassment. Um, and he did an awesome training. I was like, this person is great. This organization is awesome. And so we kept in touch. Also, Home Alive is because we were like a bunch of artists and musicians. We were doing benefit shows, but also at the moment, Seattle was blowing up on the national music scene. A lot of bands were becoming internationally known. And so we were putting out a record with Sony Records or a CD. And so I was just involved in a lot of music stuff. Can you say that motto again? Be safe in the way that works for you and just don't throw other people under the bus or fuck anyone else over just because you disagree with how they do it. All these other places, there's so much management around like how you're supposed to do it. And we're like, no, everybody's going to be safe in their own ways. And it also, I think, came from everybody's priority of what violence and abuse mean are going to mean different things at different moments, which means they're going to look really different in what they're addressing and how they're addressing it. Christiane and other Home Alive organizers were frustrated by the limitations of the options available at the time. Telling a punk singer that she should be home by 10 and lock her doors ignored the reality that she might not leave a gig until after two. 
or that a roommate might pose a bigger threat than a stranger on the street. Home Alive created accessible, inexpensive, queer-friendly self-defense classes and teacher trainings that spread throughout the U.S. and Europe. Home Alive also met people where they were at. If a gun made someone feel safe, they helped them get training. If guns made someone feel unsafe, they gave them other tools. They did not apply one solution to anyone seeking support, but held space for all possibilities, a practice that would serve Christiane well when she embarked on anti-racist coalition work. I got this flyer for a workshop that Eric was doing in Eugene on the white power music industry. And I was like, what? Like Kate, I'd never heard of anything about a white power music industry. I've been dealing with skinheads and fighting Nazi punks in my music community for a long time and figured out how to like draw boundaries and kick them out and deal with racism. But like an industry I'd never heard of and nobody that I talked to had heard of it. So I, I went to Eugene and to the workshop and was just totally blown away. Not only was there this white power, white nationalist music industry, but it was a multi-million dollar industry and they were doing the same thing that Home Alive was doing, but making shit tons more money. And it seemed like being way more effective. Like they were putting bands on tours, using tours as organizing hubs, using events and shows to recruit volunteers, get folks excited, talk about what they were doing and like disseminate that out to the world and create networks. When Christiane says this was the same thing Home Alive was doing, Home Alive became a social movement of sorts. Fans took literature on tour and talked on stage about the need to protect themselves and their communities against abuse and assault, or hosted benefit shows and raised consciousness about the issue and about Home Alive. So I was pretty blown away and pissed and came back. I totally 100% dedicated to integrating fighting white nationalism into my work with Home Alive and everything since and figuring out a way for Home Alive to support the Northwest Coalition. And I started volunteering with them and working with Eric on ways to collaborate and support one another and connected with Kate and all those folks connected to the Coalition for Human Dignity and Northwest Coalition Against Malicious Harassment. They've all sort of been like my movement heroes and movement mentors ever since. So then I left Home Alive, handing it off to the next generation and actually went and worked at the coalition with Kate for a year or so. At Northwest Coalition, Christiane and I worked all the time together. Again, supporting, running program for, and learning from the super broad-based coalition of task forces that were all in really different ways, fighting the various shapes of white nationalism that were showing up in their communities. And some of these groups were like one person, and some of them were collectives, and some of them were nonprofits. They all had different strategies, and they all had different ideas about which strategies should be used. So I know we were like already sort of germinating and on how to share these organizing histories and strategies and political sensibilities. Even though the Coalition Against Malicious Harassment ended, Kate and Christian were still committed to the work. So after the coalition folded, Christiane and I reconnected and we're like, we have to figure out how to continue to do this work, especially with a focus on anti-racist and anti-fascist cultural organizing and supporting and sustaining and nurturing broad-based coalitions. We call ourselves If You Don't They Will, and we are a Seattle-based collaboration that provides concrete and creative tools to counter white nationalism through a cultural lens. Our countering and our no's and our refusals of white nationalism also always includes 
generating spaces to collectively envision the kinds of worlds we want to live in. You have to do both work all of the time. The no's and the yeses, what are we fighting for? That reminder of like the yeses, that was something that I struggled with with Home Alive and then again with the coalition. We have to be clear and draw these clear lines of what we're fighting against, but we also have to constantly be developing our imagination. Like you and I talk about here, like our anti-fascist and anti-racist imagination muscles constantly and always because that yes, we need the yes with the no. The no without the yes doesn't really move us. So in 2015, white nationalism was escalating. Uh, They had been successfully building their base, grassroots organizing, electoral organizing, taking over school boards, running for office, et cetera, et cetera. We were doing a lot of workshops to support groups to develop skills specific to countering white nationalism. We got excited about figuring out how to share these histories of these rural and suburban task forces from the 80s and 90s and the broad-based coalition strategies that they practiced and theorized. How can we bring that into the present? History is so important and think about history as a way to activate and support current organizing efforts. So like a history that's alive. First, we were like, well, let's write a book because we both love to write and we love to write together. And then we were having a conversation with our friend Molly. Molly is Molly Mack, a Seattle-based arts educator and video artist. Christian and Kate describe Molly as someone who makes anti-fascist dreams come true. And she was like, why are you writing a book? This should be a video art project. There's a timeliness and an urgency around this where we could put something together a lot faster than you having to jump through all the publishing hoops to put out a book. Yes, absolutely. Together, we got to work with Molly, who really helped us figure out how to visually and audibly represent this broad-based coalitional social movement that was countering, and some of them still are, right, Um, countering white nationalism in the 80s and the 90s in the Pacific Northwest. And how do we represent this coalitional social movement in a way that doesn't romanticize the work, that doesn't create, quote unquote, like hero narratives, and that truly reflects the political sensibility, which just like of course you get up and you fight white nationalism. That's just what you do. What are you talking about? Of course you would. Also in a way that fights fear and invites people to join our movement to fight white nationalism and feel connected and part of the movement and the anti-fascist work in the present moment. Avoiding a hero narrative was central to Kate and Christian in planning No Not Ever. As veterans of political organizing and Seattle's rock scene, they were familiar with the social pitfalls of depending on a charismatic leader. I was feeling so grateful for all the mentorship and all these lessons that I've just been sort of metabolizing ever since. And I came up with this list. Everything is research and everyone is a researcher. Making research accessible and helping folks see what they're already doing is research. Have fun, fight fascism, which is our motto. (laughs) These movements are hard and we have to have like good fun. I think sometimes there's a sense that if we get caught having fun, we're not taking this seriously. We need to be having fun. Coalition is at the root of everything. (laughs) Coalition, coalition, coalition. White nationalism is a social movement that just 
keep integrating that. I'm thinking of like Eric's, like the anti-Semitism is the fuel, as he says, of white nationalism. We have to keep understanding anti-Semitism and keep bringing it back into our work when it drops out. We have to deal with our own sexism and heteropatriarchy and understand white racist feminism if we're going to be able to have robust coalitions. Cultural organizing, why it's important, which I didn't realize and got so humbled to be um, mentored in that. And then this is the last thing, like I was thinking about how many different ways folks were like badass and like fighting white supremacy and white nationalism and how easy it was to like go into these communities and like ignore or dismiss or minimize the anti-racist and anti-fascist work if it didn't look a certain way and how much it was a deep, deep, deep lesson in like shutting up and seeing what emerges. More than once, it took me a while to see like the actual depth and breadth and sophistication of the resistance and the struggles that these communities were engaged in. Even going there, I mean, like, I know that they're badass. I know they're doing all this. It would keep emerging. And it's messy and complicated and problematic too. But that lesson from the coalition, it's one that I carry with me and I just keep getting more and more engaged in it, And I'm so grateful. Learning from the coalition about the depth and complexities of political work outside of urban and subcultural norms is part of what motivated No, Not Ever. This interactive art experience honors the dedicated labor of rural anti-fascist organizing and helps participants locate themselves in a heritage of resistance. So No, Not Ever is the name of our installation. It is a mixed media installation video interviews with organizers from the 80s and the 90s. There's also activities, quizzes, scenarios, activities where people are invited to write or name or push um, to really activate our bodies. One of the things with the installation in creating these interviews was creating an interactive place where people could get information, understand some of these stories and these histories, but also begin to have this embodied sense and feel like they are part of this movement to say both no, not ever to white nationalism and yes to the world that we're working towards and and building towards. Part of that embodied feeling um, part of a movement was a commitment to continue to capture these stories and integrate them into other projects, whether that's an expansion of no, not ever, or whether that's a new thing but that that's uh, another one of our commitments is if you don't, they will to continue to capture the stories and sensibilities of people currently engaging in resistance to uh, white nationalism. And we think of the archives that we're working on, that we've worked on in the past and that we're working on now as coalitional practice. There's also lots of opportunities inside the show to strategize and practice together, figuring out concrete, creative, robust strategies to say no, not ever to white nationalism every day in every single way. listening to this bonus episode of It Did Happen Here. There are transcripts, show notes with links, and other relevant content at our website, itdidhappenherepodcast.com. You can also listen to the podcast on the KBOO website, 
on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Your hosts were Selena Flores and Mike Crenshaw. This podcast is produced by Selena, Mike, and me, Aaron Yankee. Music in this episode is by the Neo Boys. Thanks to them, and thanks to the Marla Davis Fund, KBOO Community Radio, and to the rest of our production team, Icky A, Julie Perini, and Mo Baustern. And thank you for listening.